You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning. This is Ron Bachman, and you're listening to Healthcare Insight on America's Web Radio. We've had a whole series of programs that are located in the archives of America's Web Radio talking about the secrets of health insurance reform. We've talked about how a whole new system can be developed very easily with new state or federal regulations. Much of the aspects of what ought to be a new system are already in place, and your employer, your HR department can implement some of those. But to make a real change, we do need some additional legislation or changes in regulation. So what I want to do today is continue the idea and the concepts that I call the secrets of health insurance reform. Now, let me go through some of those secrets that we've talked about in past weeks and just highlight them for you, and maybe you'll get a flavor of what we've been talking about and be a good foundation for some of the more detailed explanations that we'll have later in this hour. But I would say secret number one. Secret number one is that you, the listening audience, anybody paying attention to what's happening in the marketplace, anyone listening to this program, secret number one is you have more political power as a voting citizen than politicians want you to know. Individuals who are active and gathering up votes and gathering up opinions and writing editorials scare the bejesus out of politicians. The most important thing to a politician is getting reelected. And if in their district, in their state, in the country, there's a movement against what they want, because they may want entirely different things to happen policy-wise than the citizens of their respective districts, state, or even what the federal government want. And if you can activate other citizens, polling will show it, will redirect politicians, and the actual votes on election day make a difference. So secret number one is you have more political power as a voting citizen than politicians really want you to know. Secret number two. You have a right to be grouped with others that have similar health risks, whether that's good or bad. Only then can we get the highest, most appropriate level of care to those who need it most. In other words, insurance is about pooling of lives and risks that have similar characteristics. If you all have good health, then the services that you need and what you want to purchase are entirely different than a group of people, a pool of lives that have chronic and persistent conditions, that have catastrophic conditions in their life. They need an entirely different set of services. So it's not a stigma to separate or segment out populations into different groups based upon their health risk. It's a good thing. Because we want to give the best service, the most important capabilities, the best resources, the best knowledge about what the options are to those who have very bad health. 
Now, the secret there underlying this, sort of a, cor- a correlation to this, is that the politicians think everybody ought to have a one-size-fits-all. And they're kind of presenting it as if everybody is going to be in the worst category, but we can't give you all the proper information, the transparency of information, of service providers, of costs, of any of that is allowed to anybody because they group everybody in one big bucket. And they make it sound as though insurance is only for the catastrophic claimant. Yes, you ought to have those claims and those issues covered if you should have them. But that's not necessarily the level of services that you need right now if you're in good health. You need more preventive care. You need more early intervention. You need more information about diet and exercise and nutrition. As opposed to somebody who's got diabetes, they need to learn how to follow the doctor's orders, take their medication, understand what diabetes really is about and what the consequences are if you don't take care of yourself. Rehospitalizations, foots being amputated, going blind. It's an entirely different set of information that needs to be out there. So that's secret number two, is you have a right to be grouped within a pool of similar risks so that you get the services that you need, not what somebody else needs. Secret number three, become a yes-if person if you want to discover solutions to your own life, to your own health insurance, to issues that you are facing. Newt Gingrich once had a comment that there are two basic types of thinking. There's a yes-if person in that mentality, and there's a no-because. If you're a no-because person, and that's real easy for any of us to do, you say, that can't be done because it's too costly. That can't be done because there's a rule against this. That can't be done because of a legal issue. That can't be done because we don't have the right regulations. That can't be done because the laws are different. And what does that do to a discussion about finding solutions? It immediately shuts everything down so that there's no chance of finding a solution. The other type of person in thinking is the yes-if. In other words, you face a problem like health reform, health insurance reform, health care reform, however you want to phrase it. And you say, yes, that idea would work if we do this. Yes, the idea of health insurance reform with free market would work if we have, for example, the Health Review Authority established that empowers individuals. Yes, that would work if we segment risks and provide the best services to the people most in need through an impaired health support set of plans. So the yes, if creates that discussion back and forth. And if you have a team of people finding solutions and they are of a yes-if mentality, you're more likely to find a solution faster. So there's another um, approach that can be taken, and that is let's talk about this kind of a secret. This secret is one that's used by politicians, lobbyists, media, if you don't want to actually do something, if you're in that no-because mentality, here's the way they 
presented. And once you know this, you'll hear it over and over and over again in that political realm. And that secret is that comprehensive solutions, keep in mind that term, comprehensive solutions is a tactic used by industry lobbyists to delay, deny, and defeat consumer-oriented, patient-centric health reform solutions. Now, the reality is they'll use that term comprehensive solutions for any major problem. It could be immigration reform. Well, they talk about comprehensive solutions for that. It can be around taxes or even the coronavirus um, economic solutions. They want to talk about comprehensive solutions. But they know that if you do comprehensive solutions, history has shown that there's so much that's packed into what they call comprehensive, a lot of waste, fraud, abuse, pork barrel projects, that somebody is going to be against something in there inevitably. And you have a lot of people who would disagree vehemently with certain parts. And so you can't gather enough votes to get anything done when you talk about comprehensive solutions. It's very rare. And so the politicians and lobbyists know that if you use the term comprehensive solutions, it sounds great to the public, but their little secret is they don't really want comprehensive solutions. They just want to defeat the idea of reform of whatever the topic is that we're talking about. So keep that in mind, and I think you will see that over and over again, both from the media and from politicians who don't want to get done what they might say they want to get done, but you'll know their real underlying uh, goal is to defeat anything that they try to offer up comprehensive solutions for. Well, here's another secret. Maybe this one's not so secret. It's that government agencies are completely inept at running federally funded health insurance and health care. And that they do it mainly in pursuit of more power and control. That's what they're really seeking when they want to regulate private health insurance and health care. It's not that they're completely inept, although they are. They're inept, but what they are good at is using that ineptitude, covering it up, excusing it, explaining it away in order to get more power and control. We know this from examples in healthcare, for example, even health insurance around the VA system. That is a single-payer system, and we know that the VA system has been corrupt, that they've doctored data, that they've kept people from getting the help and support they need, and that people have unnecessarily died and waiting too long that they're in pain, they're suffering, they don't get the cures that they want, but the bureaucrats covered up. That's a scandal that we've all heard about and have uh, seen in many cases people listening to this broadcast maybe have experienced with a family member. I certainly have. I've seen firsthand how inept and corrupt the VA system is. Well, let's talk about another secret. It's a focus on private health insurance reform will help the vast majority of Americans. Again, in that comprehensive solution kind of tactic to delay really getting the solutions, the way to focus down 
on what most of us really need is coverage in the private market. And mostly small employer groups, under 50 life employers, under 50 employee companies, and individual insurance. If we actually focus on that, yes, it's a subset. And that's where the real solutions can be found that affect the vast majority of Americans. But what do politicians want to do? They want to focus on that comprehensive solution, which nothing gets done when they really know that the problem of the uninsured, the working uninsured in this country, the blue-collar uninsured in this country is in the small mom-and-pop privately-owned companies that are trying to struggle to stay alive and would love to offer health insurance if it was more affordable, if the laws didn't prevent them from putting together the types of products that would make it work for them. Well, here's another secret. The United States has never operated with free market health insurance. Now, opponents of real reform, private market reform, will say, well, we had free market before Obamacare. No, we did not. It was insurance that was run by the lobbyists, by the insurance industry, by the self-interest groups, but it was never a consumer-oriented marketplace. Consumer was never empowered to be able to deal with things like pre-existing conditions and guaranteed issue and getting the products that they want. They were underwritten out at the individual level with cherry picking that went on and state laws and regulations that were written were not written to the benefit of that small employer group. And the large employers got out of it because they fell under something called ERISA if they financed their health insurance for their employees through something referred to as self-insurance. So let me stop there and recognize that we need to go to take commercial and we'll come back and we're going to talk a little bit more specifically about the secrets and then take it into the next level of talking about how we actually find solutions and what some of the key parts are to creating a health insurance reform that works for you and for me. Want to give your family or loved one the perfect gift? Then go online and check out the TornadoBodyDryer.com. I love mine and the warm heat air massage it gives me after my shower. The Tornado Body Dryer is super. You'll love it and you'll love having one in your shower. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio, and the program is Healthcare Insight. And we've been talking about the secrets of health insurance reform. And we've been kind of doing a recap for the last several weeks and focusing on the individual secrets that I've identified in the past few weeks around health insurance reform. That really identify both the strengths and the weaknesses of our existing system. So let's continue to talk specifically about secrets that I've identified over the last several weeks. Well, here's the next one. Politicians have never been interested in focusing on the insurance needs of small groups or individuals. Kind of goes hand in hand with what we were talking about just a few minutes ago with the idea that we've never really operated in a free market health insurance perspective. Why? 
because politicians really don't understand insurance themselves. They come from various backgrounds. When we talk about politicians that we're electing that supposedly understand health care, they're usually physicians. They don't understand the health insurance industry and how it works and where the problems and issues are and how you can change and how you work through the guild wars of the health care system and how you work through the um, lobbyists for the insurance industry in order to focus on the problems and issues that really exist in the small group and the individual marketplaces. So politicians have never shown an interest. When I've been in Washington, the best I can say politicians have as an understanding of health care is very superficial. Mostly they'll understand things like Medicare and Medicaid, which are government programs, which have nothing to do with the real needs and issues of the working population, especially in a small group marketplace or individuals that are entrepreneurs or consultants to companies, people who are on what's called a 1099 form. In other words, they're, they're doing consulting work. So politicians that come in with health care are not necessarily business people who understand health insurance. They understand the delivery of health care, and that's a lie that's been perpetuated in the media that politicians who are doctors will have the answers to how we get the financing of health insurance. They're the right ones to do and make changes on how the health care is delivered, but you can't get to that health care delivery of services until we as citizens actually have a way to finance that care through health insurance. Next secret. A private market solution does exist. They'll tell you it doesn't. If you listen to the lobbyists or the politicians and you've got the political fights and the ideological fights, but a private market solution does exist that empowers consumers in getting the coverages they want and guaranteed protection for those with pre-existing conditions. There's a private free market solution that does that. I've been describing one such solution, and there are probably multiple solutions out there, but no one has ever gotten everybody to coalesce around a single solution with aspects of what I've been proposing and talking about for many, many weeks. I've written books about because there really isn't an understanding of how to break through the logjam of the existing lobbyists out there, the existing people who have a vested interest in what exists as opposed to creating opportunities for consumers and what they could get. So let's proceed a little bit further. Here's another secret that they won't tell you about, but you know it as a consumer out there. You know it as an individual who's been through the stresses and strains and anxieties of life. And the secret is this, that mental health is more important to overall health care than politicians or even insurers realize or admit because you really can't have good health care without good mental health. I've said before that if as a company you don't have a stress management program built into your overall package of health insurance that I can guarantee 100% of the time 
that your employees going through stress and depression, anxiety, and all those issues, whether it's from the job, whether it's financial, whether it's from the family, maybe it's a, a physical health condition, that they will have a stress management program that you may not want as an employer for them to pursue. Alcoholism, drug addiction, overeating, all sorts of issues that they may take on to help solve their immediate stress because they don't have any other avenue to turn to. Mental health is a condition that is inseparable in most cases from physical health. You can't treat a diabetic, for example, who is non-compliant with care, not because they're being difficult, but because they've got depression issues so they don't take their medications. They know that they should, but if you've ever been down in the dumps and really under more than just general anxiety but serious depression, you know you don't want to do anything. Mental health is the one issue, the one health care issue, that you tend to push away the care providers. You push away family members. You push away the people who want to help you. So you have to deal with the underlying mental health issue in order to be able to activate the right kinds of behavioral change, the right kind of compliance, the right kind of adherence to the proper uh, treatment plans. Because without that, you'll get a non-compliant patient and then you'll blame them for being a non-compliant patient when the reality is that you haven't treated them, their underlying mental health issues. Well, here's a surprising secret that I'm not sure everybody listening to this program really knows or understands, and it's fully documented. And that is that 90% of hospitals don't know what the cost is to the services that they provide. There have been studies on this. Hospitals put together something called a charge master. It's an artificial list of what each of the services that they identify they provide in the hospital should cost. There's no underlying cost study that establishes that. It's pretty much made up and is based on historical numbers that somebody started with a long time ago. And I can tell you how ridiculous those charge master costs are. Because if you go back to the 20, 30 years ago, the 1990s, when insurance companies or large employers started to negotiate for hospitals, they would say, well, give me 10% off of your charge master. And that was sort of the common. You get 5, 10, maybe 15% if you're lucky from some hospitals, if you're really driving a lot of patients to a localized hospital where there aren't many other options and you've got some good community connections, you're all on the same boards together, the CEO of the large employer and the CEO of the hospital, they give you a discount, 5, 10, 15% at most. Do you know what the discounts are today from the charge masters? Well, take a look at something called an EOB if you're ever in the hospital or have a hospital billing. The discount off of the charge master today is in many cases 80, 90% or more, which means that the underlying number that you're taking 80 or 90% off is totally irrelevant. It's totally made up. Now, why would hospitals allow the charge masters to grow to such an exorbitant level that they're giving 80 to 90% discounts from those numbers? Well, here's another little secret. Many of the hospitals that you think about are not-for-profit hospitals. And as not-for-profit hospitals means they don't pay taxes on any profits that they would have. And the trade-off for being a not-for-profit and not paying taxes is that you're supposed to provide 
community services. You're supposed to help people with charity services. So how do you know how much charity service you're providing as a hospital? Well, somebody comes in and you give them a bunch of services. How do you put a number on that? Ah, you go to the charge master. And so when you report out how much charity service you did as a hospital to justify your not-for-profit status, that number is elevated eight, nine, ten times what it really should be. That charity service report that's provided to the county commission uses a very artificially exaggerated number. Now here's a corollary to that secret that's really a dark secret. And that is that who pays that charge master? If you're not part of an insurance company, uh, a network that gets that 80 or 90% discount, what if you're truly uninsured and you have no connection of anybody or anything or any corporation that's given you that discount? What's the hospital going to charge you? They're going to charge you that charge master. So it's only the uninsured that pay this outrageous artificial number that the hospitals call a charge master. Ridiculous. So now let's go to another secret. In this fun, we can go through secrets all day long and talk about all sorts of issues underlying the health care and the health insurance industry that hopefully this is opening up the eyes of many people who might be listening in on this. This secret is that the health care costs are a classic example of collusion and price fixing by industry insiders and government complicity. Now, that might sound like some sort of a, um, uh, a made-up concept of what's going on. A, um, but the reality is that something doctors charge is based upon a CPT code. They get paid a certain amount for each service based upon something called a CPT code. Well, who provides the CPT code? Well, it's the American Medical Association. Now, is that available to you and I to discuss and debate how much hospitals or doctors should be paid, in this case, doctors? No. It's proprietary. You don't even get to see it. You'd have to buy it. Who buys it? Mainly the federal government pays millions of dollars in order to use it to reimburse Medicare. And then if somebody providing services, a doctor out in the marketplace, your doctor wants to charge less than that because they've got a cost-effective operation, or they want to say, listen, I will provide you services, but I'm not going to go through the waste of filling all this paperwork and submitting it to your insurance company. The reality is you can just, I'll I'll give you a a document that says what the services were, and then you file it with your insurance company and get a direct reimbursement from your insurance company, which is what insurance is supposed to originally have been. It's only after that structure was established that doctors wanted to get paid directly so they didn't have any bad debts. But the real purpose of insurance was to reimburse the patient for the services provided. Now, if if a doctor wants to do that today, And they say, listen, I don't have to do all the paperwork. I don't have to go back and forth with the insurance company. I don't see what they're going to pay and not pay. I want to negotiate with them. I'll charge you less than Medicare because I can do that. The government doesn't allow them to do that. 
So that's the classic example of this collusion and price fixing. Um, you don't have a competitive marketplace where the providers of care can actually go less than what the government is paid because the government has something in their contracts called a most favored nation status. And a most favored nation status means that the insurance industry cannot charge less than what the government gets charged. Well, I think we've come to the end of this particular segment. I want to talk about a few more secrets. I hope you're having some fun with this because it gives a real insight before we go into some more in-depth nitty-gritty in the weeds of how the um, free market can actually be developed, the secret of how this actually works. I'm trying to lay the foundation for what all these secrets are in this week's session. So let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. You're on America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman, and you're listening to Healthcare Insight. If your health insurance premium is more than your mortgage, Ellen Deal with Ideal Solutions is here to help. Whether you're a small business owner, individual family, or baby boomer, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com, and I'll respond with three easy questions to help you determine if you can get away from Obamacare. As a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry, I'm here to help with all your insurance needs. Email Ellen Deal at MAGA45CAG at gmail.com. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Get your pen and paper ready. If there is a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is around town movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around town movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, Around Town Movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's Around Town Movers. Call them. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. We are talking about the secrets of health insurance reform. Trying to give you some insights for those of you out there listening Concerned about health insurance, the cost of health insurance, the availability of health insurance, the options that you may find are very limiting to what you need. I'm trying to put together a program this week that focuses on and reinforces the secrets of health insurance reform, which is what our entire last several weeks has been all about. I want to summarize and go through secret by secret by secret. We have a few more to talk about. So let's proceed with that, and then we'll get into some nitty-gritty maybe in the end of this segment or the next segment on how you can actually create free market, private market health insurance that helps individuals and small group owners. I remember that CPT code I talked about that was developed by doctors for doctors. How do you think they developed that from year to year? They do a survey, and it's made up of several parts. But one of the parts is how expensive is it to operate a doctor's office? Well, if a doctor's office gets more expensive because that doctor is 
putting in more equipment and, and duplicating things and is not trying to be efficient and their prices are going up, when they're surveyed, those costs are higher and so that higher cost gets built into the CPT code by the doctors under the CPT code structure that ultimately gets out to the government and then that's used as a basis for discounts for many of the insurance companies. So it's a classic collusion. It's industry insiders working against you. It's doctors and hospitals working against you and the government is encouraging it and uh, is complicit in the whole process. It's not focused on you, the consumer. It's focused on the providers of care. Well, there's more secrets. Let's talk about this one. We mentioned it a little bit earlier that similar risks affect insurance premiums with lower utilization. Now, maybe they're fixing the cost of a service as we just talked about, and that's going to be harder. That's going to require some real legislation to change that price fixing structure. But premiums are based upon two factors that work together. One factor is the cost of the service. The other factor in developing an insurance premium is how often is that service used? It's called the utilization factor. It's actually the multiplication of those two, the cost of the service times the number of times it's used. So if you have a service that costs $100 and you'll use it once a year, then what's built into the insurance premium is 100 times one or $100. If that service is $100 and it's used twice a year, then that's $200, and that's the amount that's priced into an insurance premium. So you as an individual can actually have a dramatic impact on the insurance premiums by lowering your utilization. So individuals with account-based plans, for example, that have more control over what they're doing and want to save money and don't overutilize services, individuals with account-based plans in particular can lower the medical costs especially if they're getting rewards and incentives for doing the right things. Not only do they lower their utilization, but they get more money in to help pay for things when they actually need the service. So the secret is that you directly can have effect on your insurance premium by lowering your utilization. So the real secret is that you, the consumer, If you're given the right information and the right incentives and your plan design is such that you can benefit by lower utilization, you can actually get lower premiums and lower costs two different ways. One, as a group in your risk pool, everybody is of a similar nature in trying to be healthy and lower unnecessary utilizations. Don't go to the doctor's office as much. Uh, Get an x-ray instead of an MRI. Be healthier. Take your vitamins, your medication, and your diet and exercise. Monitor your biometrics, blood pressure, cholesterol, nicotine use, body mass index, waist size. Do all the right things. Educate yourself on what you need, when you need it. When to take aspirin, when to take ibuprofen, when to take other medications to keep you healthy or get over minor illnesses that might happen to you. If you as a group do that, you will lower your utilization as a group and your premiums would be reduced. 
The second way you can save in this secret environment of lower utilization is if you have an account-based plan, particularly a health savings account. And you could also get it under health reimbursement arrangement, but an account-based plan where your employer or the insurance company recognizes the fact that you as an individual are saving even more because you are doing better within your risk group than the rest of the population, they could share some of that savings back to you as an individual, especially if you're doing things that are not only lowering utilization now, but will lower or likely to lower utilization in the future so that they can share and put money into your account so that you can accumulate dollars in your HSA, your health savings account, or your HRA, your health reimbursement arrangement. And that means that in the future, because of the savings you've created and the account that you're building up, if you have a deductible that you would otherwise have to meet, or you have a coinsurance or a copay, some out-of-pocket expense, you can then go and use those dollars to cover that. So you can save two ways if you're allowed to be stratified by a risk pool of similar interests and similar desires to be healthy and lower utilization. And the second way is if you personally are given rewards and incentives for things that you're doing, like, again, the biometrics in particular are great ways to reward people that are going to affect future savings, blood pressure, cholesterol, nicotine use, body mass index, A1C levels, your waist size, any of those five to six Pick three of the six as an insurance company and give rewards and incentives. So you can go and find those kinds of products, especially if you're in a group marketplace, because they're more available in the group than they are in individuals, because some state laws prevent companies from providing those rewards and incentives. So there's a great opportunity. Understanding these secrets of health insurance not only to advocate for better laws and better regulations and a better health reform nationally, a better health reform at the state level, but also to understand how you as an individual or you as a member of an employer group plan can actually lower your overall costs with the mechanisms that are already available in the marketplace. So the secret of health insurance reform Taking all of these secrets that we've been talking about today together means that there are real solutions to providing a health reform package that is consumer-driven and patient-centric. And so I hope you're taking away from these discussions that this isn't pie in the sky. This isn't some academic think tank idea. These are real tangible ideas that you as an individual can advocate for. You as a political junkie maybe can begin to connect to your political contacts and advocate for some changes so that you know that we can get to where we need to be. Because you are unique. Your family is unique. You ought to have personalized health insurance so that you can access personalized health care that you need and you want when you want it 
at the price you want it, where you want it, with the options and choices that you want. This is all available. Now, let's sort of turn the page and let's get into some nitty gritty and extend the ideas of personalized health insurance and how all this can work. What is it that would empower you as an individual? What would it be? What would it take to empower you as an individual so that you can move forward? So what would it take? What is that one big idea that would make it work? What would is the one idea that would empower consumers in this world dominated by insurance companies, insurance company lawyers, insurance company lobbyists, and the game that they play back and forth with elected officials by giving them contributions that gives more loyalty to the insurance industry than it does to the consumer or to even the voter. Well, that one big idea is really the certificate of guaranteed coverage. So let's talk about it as an individual, and then later on we'll talk about it as in a group environment. So let's just say for discussion purposes, you've identified yourself, or maybe it's someone you know, as wanting an individual health insurance policy. In that case, applicants rejected for individual health coverage can challenge at no cost, can challenge that underwriting decision made by the insurance company to reject your application. You can challenge that with the health review authority and the power that they would have to offer up a certificate of guaranteed coverage. So here's how it works. We've got a couple minutes before we take another break, but I'll start it off and I'll finish it after the break. There are three potential actions that the health review committee can take. First, the applicant is determined by the health review authority to be insurable. The individual can be given a certificate of guaranteed coverage to secure affordable coverage at rates appropriate to health status and the history of the individual. If that individual is determined to be insurable, even though they were just rejected by the insurance company. So when the application goes to the Health Review Authority, let me make it clear, that applicant is reviewed and they're determined that they are not uninsurable or that they don't need financial assistance to make that purchase. But the key is, are they insurable or are they not? And if they're insurable after that review by the Health Review Authority, they will be given a certificate of guaranteed coverage. An individual's certificate of guaranteed coverage can be taken to any participating carrier, not just the original rejecting insurer, for guaranteed issue and coverage of pre-existing conditions. Premiums will be at standard rates or with any premium rating or temporary benefit limits as deemed appropriate by the Health Review Authority. So there can be some very minor restrictions on that certificate of guaranteed coverage, but you'll get guaranteed, guaranteed coverage. And participating insurers then must accept that certificate and offer up a policy as designed and priced by the Health Review Authority. There's more to get into here, so hang with me. Come back after this next commercial break, and we'll finish up the story and the power of the Certificate of Guaranteed Coverage. Be right back. 
Want to give your family or loved one the perfect gift? Then go online and check out the TornadoBodyDryer.com. I love mine and the warm heat air massage it gives me after my shower. The Tornado Body Dryer is super. You'll love it and you'll love having one in your shower. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is Around Town Movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around Town Movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, Around Town Movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's Around Town Movers. Call them. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Healthcare Insight. We've been talking this entire hour about the secrets of health insurance reform. And we want to wrap up this hour by talking about the most powerful tool, the big idea of this particular health reform. And there are several big ideas. The first one we've been talking about is the value and purpose of stratifying risks so that the good risk can pull their, their experiences together and the very poor risk, the poorest of risk, can be pulled together so that they can get the help that they really need for their diabetes, asthma, congestive heart failure. We put them into an impaired health support plan. We want to give them all the support possible, and they have different needs than the people who are in good health. So now the second idea we just started talking about in the last segment is this idea of a certificate of guaranteed coverage. So that if you're rejected by an insurance company, you can then take and have it reviewed at no cost to you as an individual. There are other costs and and fund flows that support the health review authority. And I'll get into that another time, maybe next week. But right now, the important thing is that if you're rejected for coverage, you can have the health review authority look at it. And if you are truly insurable... And the company really should have accepted you, but they were either cherry-picking or their guidelines for acceptance were just too stringent. You couldn't really negotiate a a proper uh, premium and design of your plan. The Health Review Authority will empower you as an individual to go against that insurance company and make them offer you coverage through the Certificate of Guaranteed Coverage. Now, participating insurers must accept the Certificate of Guaranteed Coverage equal to the number of individual applicants they previously rejected for coverage. So if one company is rejecting a whole bunch, then they may get a whole bunch of other uh, individuals coming back with certificates of guarantee coverage, which they then will have to accept. So carriers that are rejecting a large number of relatively good risks might find that they are required to accept much worse risks or at least on a relative basis, worse risks. So by balancing the application process in this way, carriers will begin to accept more applicants and the underwriting industry standards will be voluntarily moderated 
in favor of the consumer. Second, if the applicant is determined by the Health Review Authority to be insurable but in need of financial assistance, again, remember this is an individual making the application, so they need some financial assistance, and, and what that means would be determined by the state or some federal law or regulation as to how much income they have versus the cost of insurance as to whether or not they need some financial assistance to pay for premiums. That individual will then be given access to a subsidized state or federal health exchange, somewhat like Obamacare's exchanges today, except that the Obamacare exchanges subsidize far too many people with too high of an income, in my opinion. They will give subsidies for a family of four who make in excess of $100,000. That seems too high and would make more sense to be able to provide more subsidy to people at much lower incomes. So that would happen as a second um, uh, step for what the um, Health Review Authority would do. You're insurable, you need financial assistance, you go over to this, this pool that's subsidized. The third option is eligible individuals who are determined to be uninsurable, they're allowed to access the impaired health support plans. Now, this is the next big idea. The three big ideas, this is the third one. This impaired health support plan, set of plans. And what that does is it revamps and totally turns upside down the old idea of high-risk pools. This is not your grandfather's high-risk pool. This is an impaired health support set of plans that help the sickest among us. We never have done that before. That has never been the design of a health reform plan to help the sickest among us. And with this idea, that is what we will do. So with coverage options under the Impaired Health Support Plan, insurers will no longer be obligated to offer coverage to that applicant. In other words, the insurance company will be off the hook. This, the Impaired Health Support Plans will be put into a separate pool, and the insurance mechanism for that will be handled entirely differently and separately from the original insurance company uh, that reviewed the applicant and decided that uh, they they did not need or want that coverage. And it turned out, after a review by the Health Review Authority, that they were, in fact, uninsurable. They either had something so significant that an insurance normal insurance policy could not be offered to them. It could be that they had a heart condition. They could be have they had cancer. They could have a brain injury. They could have a significant uh, congenital disease that is going to run up very high costs. If they make an application originally to an insurance company, the Health Review Authority could say, okay, yes, they are so impaired with their health that we need to give them special support. We're going to put them into an impaired health support plan. And not only will we give them all the help and support that today most major large self-insured plans offer to their employees and to their family members that are in desperate need of health care services, We will give those in this impaired health support plan to any individual. You don't have to be part of a group. Any individual would get the same kind of help and support that anybody at General Motors or Microsoft or Intel or any major company would have. And 
the insurance company then is segmented in a way, is separated from that risk, which means that the insurance company who's identified these impaired health support will have much lower premiums for the people that they actually insure. And the person that goes into the impaired health support plan will also have subsidized coverage from state and or federal dollars that would come in. So it would be a much better use of the dollars that are set up under Obamacare that get wasted in a lot of ways. What we're trying to do here is we're taking a subset of those dollars so that this could be a tremendous savings over Obamacare. We're going to subsidize a group that are truly uninsurable, but we're also going to give them the help and support to help stabilize their condition. A diabetic, as an example, who is stabilized, is not being re-hospitalized frequently, is a much lower lifetime cost than somebody who doesn't have the information, the support systems, the, the specialty hospitals, the specialty physicians that can really help them with all their medical needs and all their lifestyle needs that they have. That will help lower the cost within the impaired health support plan groups and risk pools of individuals. So this is a big idea again. The impaired health support structured in this way will dramatically lower the cost of health care for all of us, and especially for those people with the impaired health support needs. So as you can see, the certificate of guaranteed coverage, with that coverage, anyone wanting health insurance is guaranteed a choice plan They can choose from a whole string of plans. So just because you are uninsurable doesn't mean that you don't want to have or you shouldn't have options of an HSA or an HMO or full coverage or a much higher deductible that you can self-insure underneath that. So rather than a one-size-fits-all coverage under the impaired health support uh, structure, anybody giving getting access to that will have their premium subsidized but they also will have a wide variety of plans they can choose from that best meets their needs. We don't want to assume that just because people in this category have impaired health, that they don't have a wider variety of needs to support that impaired health. I'll give you an example. A family member of mine is uninsurable because of a hereditary blood condition, but they don't have any immediate health care needs If they take their medication, then they can be perfectly healthy and have claims that are just as low as a normal person. But if they don't take that medication and don't follow that regimen, they could have very high costs. Now, in the last um, few minutes uh, remaining here, let's go ahead and start the discussion, and we'll see how far we can get into it, on the small group certificate of guaranteed coverage. Because I think we've completely explained the individual Certificate of Guaranteed Coverage. So change your mentality now and just think about whether you or somebody you know or just imagine somebody is in a small business, generally 50 or fewer employees. You have a new option to secure affordable health insurance for your employees if you're the employer looking at this. Insurers can request the Health Review Authority to review selected members of a small group. So here, the insurance company wanting to sell to this small group 
can have the option of saying, well, I'd like for the Health Review Authority to, to take a an analysis of this one individual, two individuals, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's an employee. But if a member of a fully insured small group is determined to be uninsurable, the group member, whether it's an employee or family member again, will be provided access to a selection of impaired health support plans, just like the individual was we talked about a minute ago. Employers or participating insurers submitting members of small groups who are determined by the Health Review Authority to be uninsurable, they can then exclude those individuals from the small group policy. So that individual is going to be pulled out and put into the impaired health support plans and the rest of the group then will have much lower premium, maybe 15 to 20% based upon statistics that we've reviewed. So participating insurers are obligated to offer coverage to the group if the selected members are determined by the Health Review Authority to be insurable. So they're obligated to take the coverage. The entire group then would be granted a certificate of guaranteed coverage that can be taken back to a participating insurer and get coverage. There's another big issue here within this small group certificate of coverage. So in addition, at the first annual renewal of a group policy, any newly identified uninsurable persons can then apply for the impaired health support plans. So moving uninsurable people with impaired health conditions from small group plans at both the initial application and at the first renewal is a major feature of personalized health insurance. So there's a significant alteration of the power of the consumer, whether it's an individual consumer or a group consumer buying health insurance. The insurance companies need this balance in order to get us to a real free market. The consumer needs the balance in order to be able to combat the process that the large insurance companies are currently experiencing to take advantage of the marketplace. So I want to leave it right there. We're at the end of this hour. I want to come back next week if you'll join me, and we're going to talk about why an insurance company would want to participate in this, why it can be voluntary, and how, in fact, you would fund both the Health Review Authority and the Impaired Health Support Plans. So join me next week as we talk about some of the details and get a little bit more into the weeds, but we accept the idea, and we'll go over the ideas again of the big ideas, the big ideas to make all this work. See you next week. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.